at that dinner, my buddy and I had this, just a, a really defining conversation where uh, this past week on Monday when I was just getting ready to, to do some sermon prep and spending some time in prayer, that I felt like God just, remember I tell you, I like this, this year's about learning to, to speak with God, this, this year's about prayer, this, this year's about really hearing from Him to be that individual that God has called us to be, not as in, only as individuals, but as a group. And in that conversation, he said something where God spoke to me and said, this is what you need to communicate. So it's one buddy and I, we were out to dinner, and as we were out to dinner, for some reason, it just out of nowhere, it came up about sharing the hope we profess, sharing that redemptive story, sharing the, the things that we value most in life. And, and for all of us, it's easy to share about our children, our jobs, our, the, our, our, our materialistic things that we have. But the hardest thing to share about is, is what we would say one-on-one as Christians in our, in our little Christian Bible study and say, well, what do you value most? My relationship with God. And we always say it like with a little whisper, like it's more holy. You ever notice that? Like whenever you talk about God, like your voice kind of changes. Like it turns into like this, like you start saying these and thous and, and words you've never even used in your whole life. And so we started talking about just sharing our faith and what does this look like and how do we do it? And I got to be honest with you, there's something that my friend said that is, I believe, how most people feel. He looked me dead in the eyes and he said, Rob, I can't and I won't. And and at first it sounds pretty strong, right? I can't and I won't. But what I said to him, I said, you can and we will together. You see, I honestly believe in all of our hearts, there are phobias that we have that keep us from expressing what we value most, our faith, to the people around us. And I really believe that what my friend was saying was something very prophetic that most, of the pe- most Christians will say is they say, I can't. I don't know how. I'm not comfortable. And so with that, I won't. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to continue in our journey on prayer. But instead of staying in the Old Testament, I want us to jump to the New Testament just for a week and look at someone's own phobias that kept them paralyzed from living out the faith that he received from Christ. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Let me just pray real quick. Jesus, I ask you for this morning that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open. And God, I thank you for my brother who shared those words with me because I believe that's a reality. That so many of us cannot express what we value most in our faith with you. Because we we have a phobia. Phobias that keep us from living out the fullness of life that is found in Christ Jesus. And so I ask you this morning that not that I would speak, but that the words of Scripture would tell the story. Tell the narrative that we would be able to move past our phobias 
so that we would be that testament, that light, that opportunity that when we see people who are broken and in need, that we would be quick to listen and speak to how you have stepped in and have made us whole. Holy Spirit, be in our presence. Allow your words to be real. And may we, like my friend, be able to come to a place of honesty and transparency that we would ask ourselves the hard questions by omitting the realities that keep us paralyzed and keep us fearful of living out the mission that you have for us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Now, look look at these details. You know, we say that the Bible doesn't have a lot of details. We say that the Bible is just filled with stories and and that they're they're half-truths. But I would strongly disagree. Because why would the author of Acts... If this was just a story, if there were only half-truths in Acts, if all the scripture was made up of, of myth and fables, why are there so many details to point to truths that, the reveal, that reveal the realities of who these individuals are that God is speaking to and drawing close to himself? Look at that. He is a Roman army officer. He was the captain of the Italian Regiment. I think that was the first time in all scripture that the Italians were mentioned, right? Okay, any Italians out there? Okay, good. There you go. We got some Italians over here. All right? Then you have some closet Italians that aren't even saying anything. He was a devout, God-fearing man. As was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter, He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Cornelius, he was not a Jewish man. He was a God-fearing man. What does that mean? He was someone who recognized that there was a creator and that he worshiped the creator. And that even though he did not fully know who he was, was that he regularly prayed to God. And Acts, it talks about on Mars Hills that there was these people that were worshiping, worshiping to an unknown God. And the first thing that Paul did, he says, let me name that God for you. He is Yahweh. He is I am. He is the creator. And here was a man very much like that story. His name was Cornelius. He was a God-fearing man. And he lived a life of generosity. He gave all that he had. He constantly put himself in a way that he was generous to those in need. You see, that's very specific. It didn't say that he was being generous to his friends and families and neighbors, but but he had a heart after God's. 
to care for those who are living in oppression. And so as he sought God and sought God and did all the religious things that that would point him to a creator, or so he thought, he did all these repetitions and all these rituals that one day, God sends an angel to introduce himself to Cornelius. Now think about this. How many times have we prayed, whether before faith or during faith, and we think that God never, ever answers? Remember that statistics that I shared last week with you, that 79% of people who claim to have Christian faith pray regularly, and only 29% of them feel that God hears them and answers their prayers. You see, that's a scary thought for anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ let alone someone who does not claim to be a follower of Christ, is when they're seeking God, and as they're seeking God, they sense that God is nowhere to be present. But you see, that's the beauty of the living God. Is that when God knows our hearts, He does, and He will reveal Himself to all those who are honestly seeking Him. And here you have Cornelius, a man after God's own heart, and not able able to even identify who God actually is. But he lives a life that says, I'm going to pursue having a relationship with my Creator. So in in this episode, what takes place is that this angel tells Cornelius to go find this man, Simon Peter, We all know who Simon Peter is. Simon Peter is one of Jesus' disciples. He is the rock in which the church is founded on. And it's very specific that the angel says that you need to find Simon Peter who is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And so right away, Cornelius grabs some of his men and he tells them what happens and he sends them to go find this individual who will bring clarity to his faith journey. You see, here's what I know, not what I believe. Here's what I know. Is that right now in this world of spiritual confusion, we say that this world right now is very spiritually sensitive. It's actually a very consumeristic spirituality. It's about finding spirituality that fits for me, that that fits my mold, that allows me to take different pieces of different puzzles and putting them together and making my own faith. But I know this, that many of them are in a place of spiritual confusion because of the chaos and the harm that they've seen that has taken place in churches and synagogues and temples all around. And when people see organized religion, they just want to run from it. They want to hide from it. It's like a conversation I had with a guy on Friday. He's a a young man who grew up in faith, and and right now he, he just wants nothing to do with it because of the spiritual confusion that he sees in the world around him. But I do know this, that people are spiritually hungry. And they're spiritually hungry for three things. Truth and acceptance, and reality. 
And it's in those three things that the church often gets missed of hitting the mark, of having the opportunities, of sharing the truth of who Jesus is that is found in their relationship that they have with him. So here you have this man, Cornelius. He's running around trying to figure out, giving to the poor, doing all the right things. He has this vision. He has this moment. And all of a sudden, he gets it. I want to know clarity of who this living God is. And so he sends his men to find this man, Simon Peter, who's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. You see, here's the beauty of God is, God is always working on the hearts of humanity. Whether we think so or not, God is always working on the hearts of humanity. So let's continue in the story. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a deep trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Now listen what happens after Peter awakens. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? What could the vision mean? So let's look at history. Peter, a good Jewish man. He was a Christ follower. But we also have to remember, as being a Christ follower, he was a Jewish man. And Jewish men and women prayed all throughout the day. And one of their prayer, their scheduled prayers, was lunchtime. But think about it. When do you think the worst time to pray is? After lunch. I mean, think about it. You ever go to class after lunch? What happens when you go to class after lunch? You fall asleep. Where's Brandon Parker? Kidsmen, sleeping. But think about this. When you eat something, you are exhausted. And you are naturally going to fall asleep. You see, I love this part of the story because there's so many times that in my prayer times, I have visions that are called dreams. And there are times that in the middle of my, my, my prayer that, that it's like I go into a trance and then I wake up like Peter. And I think this is a reality for all of us is that, is that when you look at this story, it's, it's actually almost comical. Because here you have it, Peter goes onto the roof, and as he goes onto the roof, he gives us this big spiritual story that he gets a vision from God. Now, the truth is he did get a vision. And it was a vision from God that he was going to deal with his deepest phobia. His deepest, darkest phobia. Let me ask you, what are your greatest phobias? 
What are your phobias? This is not a rhetorical question. We all have them. What are your phobias? Bill, what's your phobia? Okay. Fears. Okay. What else? What are some natural phobias? Messing up. Messing up. What are some phobias? Snakes? <laughs> Spiders? I mean, seriously. What are your phobias? Exercising. exercising. Omar's is exercising. Disorganization. What else? Claustrophobia. What are some of our phobias? What are some of our phobias? Anything sticky? Anything sticky? I've never heard that before. But that's cool. We all have phobias. We all have phobias. And in those phobias, phobias paralyze us. Phobias are those things that paralyze us. Whether they be crazy creatures like spiders and snakes and sharks. Maybe phobias are children. Some people have phobias of children. People have phobias of planes. People have phobias of finances. Do you know one of the biggest phobia that people have is public speaking? I could probably point to many of you right now and invite you to come up, and you'd be like, no, no. I remember one time I invited someone up, just thinking because their personality is just loud. I mean, they're just loud. And I'm like, hey, I can invite them up. This is their natural stage. And afterwards, they said to me, do you realize I was shaking and ready to vomit? And I'm like, no, because you're loud and obnoxious. She's like, no, 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 that's just how I am when I'm in private. But we have phobias. You see, for Peter, he had this phobia. And his greatest phobia was to break religious laws. And all throughout Peter's journey, from the Gospels all the way through Acts, God deals with Peter's phobias. And one of his phobias was is to eat things that he wasn't supposed to. Even when Jesus said, everything is permissible. Everything is able. Even one day when they weren't supposed to eat something on the Sabbath, they ate it. And all along, you could just picture Peter just freaking out when Jesus is saying, it's okay, eat it. It's okay, eat it. That he's thinking, I'm still doing something wrong. I'm still causing problems. There's something that I just can't break my phobia. And this became even more of a phobia for Peter when he got into the presence of Gentiles and Jews. Because Jewish people were easy for him to share his faith. Jewish people were convenient and comfortable because even though they may have not known who Jesus was yet, there were so many similarities. They looked the same. They ate the same. They spoke the same. They had the same cultural bents. And so when they would speak, when he would speak to other Jewish people, it was natural and easy. But whenever he got in front of people that were not like him, he couldn't do it. 
He'd become judgmental. And he would hide in the crowd. You see, all of us have phobias. And we all have issues. And we all have things in our lives that keep us from experiencing the fullness of God because the fullness of God is not just found in that I know my Jesus. But the fullness of God is saying that I know my Jesus and I'm living my everyday with Him in every environment, in every circle, in every space that I'm moving in and I'm able to be myself and who I am in my identity as a follower, as a son, as a daughter of Christ. You see, that's one of the biggest misconceptions we have in Christianity is that we've taken something that was so community-based something that we corporately were supposed to journey together, but in our Western mindset, we've made it about our individualism and our selfishness. And for Peter, he was terrified to step out of his comfort zone. It's funny, as I shared last week, that two weeks ago, that during my time of prayer, in my time of of just seeking God and meditating, God spoke to me. Matter of fact, it was kind of like Peter, I fell asleep. And I was dead asleep. And in my sleeping, I was sitting in front of a man who said, Rob, you need to deal with this issue of your character. And I'm thinking like, okay, And the dream continued and I woke up and the only thing that I remembered about my dream was this man who was sitting before me, challenging me with the issue of my deep heart. One of my phobias. And I was perplexed, like Peter. And I was so hesitant to say anything to Sue because if I say something to Sue, she's either going to say, yeah, he was right, or no, just, that was just a dream. You, you, you ate something bad. But what I said to Sue was, God dealt with something very deep that I know to be true. And for the last two weeks, whenever this fear has come up in me, like, and we know those things happen, that our phobias and fears are always before us, especially when it deals with other individuals or it deals with our character or or issues in our life. And and lately over the last two weeks, as I go through different things, as I deal with different scenarios, all I picture was this man who challenged me. And I had a decision that morning, that time, Was I going to allow God, like in His Word, reveal that He speaks to me to propel me forward to live out the fullness of life that He has for me? Or am I going to push it off? My self-seeking attitude as my own issue. You 
You see, when we look at Scripture, we need to begin that this stuff is real and that it's tangible and that it's honest and that it's reality and that it's truth. Because God wants to deal with our hearts that we would be conformed and transformed into His image. And not that it would just stop there, but that it would flow into the lives of others. You see, one of the reasons I brought up this example of what happened during my prayer time, because I was hoping that someone last week or this week would go to sleep or in their time of prayer, honestly believe that God speaks to them in a way that will propel them forward to want to know Him more. So here you have Peter, he's perplexed, he's freaking out. He knows that there's truth to it because this vision did not only happen once, not twice, but it happened three times in this moment of time of prayer. You see, anytime you see in Scripture when something is said repeatedly, it's affirming what God is doing. It's affirming that God is speaking. And it's affirming that God wants you to do something about it. Peter was very perplexed, verse 17. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent to Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? Isn't it funny how oftentimes when we think about God, we want Him to give us a big picture of where we're going. We want God to paint the picture of of what my future will look like if I am obedient to Him. But here's a twist. God invites Peter on a journey by dealing with the issues of his heart. You hear that? God invites Peter on a journey by dealing with the issues of his heart. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you are looking for. Why have you come? They said we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that, you, so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. The next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me 
that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for you. Now tell me, why did you send for me? You see, here's why Cornelius sent for Peter. That he was starving for truth. He was starving to know that as he's worshiping God, as he's trying to, to live a moral life, that there's something missing. Something is not connecting properly. And he knew that he had to find a place where truth was going to bring clarity. And Peter was that guy. You see, God was already dealing with Cornelius. God was already showing Cornelius who he was. But God uses humanity to reveal his son to one another. Why? Because when we are followers of Jesus Christ, when we are followers of Jesus Christ, we get to embody Christ's redemptive story to others. To others. You see, let me bring up a couple things. I recognize on any given Sunday that we have visitors. I recognize on any given Sunday that there are people that come here that are investigating faith. And there are times when I'm speaking that I specifically will invite everyone to just kind of hear that it's a message for everyone. But this message is actually for those who call themselves Christ followers. But if someone's here and they don't have any faith or they're on this journey of faith and they're trying to figure this whole faith thing out, here's what I'm saying to them. I'm taking them off the hook this morning. And I'm putting the onus on all those who claim to be followers of Christ. Because anyone who is seeking faith or searching for faith or looking for faith or is confused and, and is looking for the pieces of the puzzle to start being put together, they want to see it in you and me. They want to see that, that when we sing songs about still believing or about hope or making it through the desert or the, or the wilderness, that, that they're watching a consistency and a brokenness of men and women who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Because the greatest enemy to Christ is actually those who claim to know him, yet misrepresent him. Do you know that? Gandhi struggled with that. I love their Christ, but I hate his followers. Those are the words of Mahatma Gandhi, that, that he loved the Christ, he loved Jesus, but those who follow him don't reflect who he is. You see, here's my challenge this morning. We need to ask ourselves, who is Jesus to us? If we are here and we're claiming to say that, that, that I'm a Christian, 
I'm someone who believes that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised from the grave. And that, let me ask you four simple questions. Is He your Savior? Do you know without Him, life is useless? That without Him, you are empty and broken? Is He your Savior? Is Christ your sanctifier? Can you actually look in the mirror and see that that God has been doing an amazing work, just like it talks about in Galatians, that He's done an amazing work in you, that when you look into the mirror, you see someone completely different than who you were a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, six years ago. Is He the one that has been transforming you and has, has maybe not in that moment that you don't recognize the change, but when you look back, you're like, Wow, Jesus is real because I'm still, I'm not that individual who I used to be. Is Jesus your healer in your brokenness, in your pains, in your sorrows? Can you look back and see how Jesus has been your healer? And is Jesus your coming king? As you walk this earth, do you recognize that it's not about this broken world? But it's about what He has in store for me. That the moment He became my Savior, my eternity began, and my eternity will end with being with Him forever. You see, when Jesus is that to you, All you do is spill on the people. All you do is you give your life to others in such a way that someone says, there's something unique about Him. There's something unique about her. And God, just like Cornelius, is working on the hearts of all men and women. But here's the missing link. Are we partnering with God so that they can know Him as well? Are we receptive to say, God, I can't and I won't, but you will and we can? Because it's not what you say, it's what He's done and what He's doing and what He wants to do in others. You see, evangelism is not about handing out a track of four spiritual laws and telling people they're going to hell. Evangelism is about living your life so people see who you are, and in that moment when they say, who are you? I mean, seriously, who are you? You have the moment to share. In someone's brokenness, when you have been broken like them, that you have the opportunity to step into their lives and say, I was broken like you. And here is how I found healing. And even in my healing, I still struggle with this area of life. But the one who pulls me up and pulls me through 
is Jesus. You see, Peter's biggest phobia was to do that with people who were different than him. See, I strongly believe that God has empowered us. But in our humanness, in our weaknesses, in our brokenness, of Christ's redemptive work that He's done in your life so that others could receive it. It's scary because this is something that Jesus had talked about in Matthew, the end of Matthew, I believe it is Matthew 26, where he gives this parable and he says, he says that all these people are doing all these things and, and all of a sudden he says, but Lord, Lord, remember, I prophesied in your name, remember, I went to the temple, remember. So I don't know who you are. I was naked. And he didn't clothe me. I was hungry. He didn't feed me. I was homeless. And you never invited me in. Here's what Jesus was simply saying. You never revealed your hope in the everyday of a broken world. And here's what I learned about this area in Bergen County. This area is one of the most broken, messed up places on the face of this earth. Because they cover it up with consumerism and materialism. And all they're looking for are individuals that say, I've been broken like you. I've been hurt like you. I have been lonely like you. I have been depressed like you. And we as a church, we as followers of Jesus, need to simply say, I will. I will. Would you pray with me?